Before we begin, please be aware that some of the details of the PEG and MIS we will be discussing may not be appropriate for younger viewers. Hello and welcome to another teaching from 119 Ministries. Our ministry believes that the whole Bible is still true and directly related to our lives today. If you would like to know more about what we believe and teach, please visit us at testeverything.net. We hope that you enjoy studying and testing the following teaching. Atheists encounter missionaries on the internet often claim that the story of Yeshua, or Jesus, as outlined in the Gospels, was not original, but actually copied from pagan myths. It is argued that the Gospel narratives about Yeshua's life and teachings are mythological in origin, and not actual historical accounts. While the idea is outright rejected among scholars, some people on the internet even take this view so far as to say that Yeshua didn't exist as a real historical figure. For more information on why we can trust the Gospel accounts as historically reliable, we invite you to watch our teachings, Why Yeshua is the Messiah, and Josephus and the New Testament. In this teaching, we are going to specifically focus on the claim that Yeshua was copied from pagan myths. Is there any validity to this claim? It is our contention that those who make this claim have not thoroughly examined the evidence. When you look at the primary sources of these myths that are often appealed to by skeptics and counter-missionaries, there is nothing really comparable to the story of Yeshua. And if there are similarities, there is nothing to suggest any sort of causal connection. We will prove this with specific examples later in this teaching, but right now, let's take a look at the actual argument being made by the skeptics. This quote is from the Companion Guide to the Zeitgeist, Part 1. As you can see from the title, this was a companion guide to the movie Zeitgeist which is a popular documentary that argues the story of Yeshua is based on earlier pagan myths. Akaria writes, Indeed, it is my contention and that of others deemed Jesus mythicists that the creators of the gospel tailpicked various themes and motifs from the pre-Christian religion and myths, including and especially the Egyptian, and wove them together, using also Jewish scriptures to produce a unique version of the mythos and ritual. In other words, the creators of the Christ myth did not simply take an already formed story, scratch out the name Osiris or Horus, and replace it with Jesus. They chose their motifs carefully out of the most popular religious symbols, myths, and rituals, making sure they fit to some degree with the Jewish messianic scriptures, as they are termed, and created a new story that hundreds of millions since have been led to believe really and truly took place in history. In other words, we are convinced that Jesus Christ is a fictional character created out of older myths, rituals, and symbols. 
In summary, Jesus' mythicists reject the historical accounts of Yeshua and claim that his story is based on earlier pagan myths. Jesus' mythicists make this claim based on supposed parallels between the Gospel accounts about Yeshua's life and stories about Horus, Osiris, Mithras, and other pagan myths. It's worth noting that while these types of views are popular on the internet, they are unanimously rejected among professional scholars. Christian and non-Christian scholars alike chalk these claims up to mere baseless conspiracy theories. Here are some quotes from scholars in the relevant fields of historical study. There is, as far as I am aware, no prima facie evidence that the death and resurrection of Jesus is a mythological construct, drawing on the myths and rites of dying and rising gods of the surrounding world. While studied with profit against the background of Jewish resurrection belief, the faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus retains its unique character in the history of religions. Allegations of an early Christian dependence on Mithraism have been rejected on many grounds. Mithraism had no concept of the death and resurrection of its God and no place for any concept of rebirth, at least during its early stages. Now I am normally a cordial and collegial chap, but to be honest, I have little time or patience to invest in debunking the wild fantasies of Jesus mythicists as they are known. That is because, to be frank, those of us who work in the academic profession of religion and history simply have a hard time taking them seriously. The Jesus mythicists are a group of enthusiastic atheists who through websites and self-published books try to prove the equivalent of a flat earth. I serve on the editorial board for the Journal of Study of the Historical Jesus where we have an editorial team of people from all faiths and none, celebrated experts in their fields. And I can tell you that the Jesus mythicist nonsense would never get a foot in the door of a peer-reviewed journal committed to the academic study of the historical Jesus. Before we get into some specific examples, a general critique of the methodology employed by Jesus mythicists is that their arguments are simply post hoc. That is to say, even if there are indeed similarities between the story of Yeshua and pagan myths, that does not therefore prove that the story of Yeshua was based on these pagan myths. So even if there are similarities, it does not prove that one came from the other. However, as we look at some of these specific examples, we can see that even these supposed parallels are spurious. Let's begin with the Egyptian god Horus. This quote is from the documentary Zeitgeist, in which it is asserted that Yeshua's story is based on the Horus myth. Broadly speaking, the story of Horus is as follows. Horus was born on December 25th of the Virgin Isis Marie. His birth was accompanied by a star in the east, which in turn three kings followed to locate and adorn the newborn savior. At the age of 12, he was a prodigal child teacher, and at the age of 30, he was baptized by a figure known as Anup, and thus began his ministry. Horus had 12 disciples he traveled about with, performing miracles such as healing the sick and walking on water. Horus was known by many gestural names such as the Truth, the Light, God's Anointed Son, the Good Shepherd, the Lamb of God, and many others. After being betrayed by Typhon, Horus was crucified, buried for three days, and thus resurrected. Now, if we just accept these claims as fact without verifying them, it would be pretty reasonable to conclude that the story of Yeshua had perhaps originated from the story of Horus. The problem is that none of these claims about Horus are true at all. Let's go through them one by one. Number one, Horus was born of the Virgin Isis on December 25th. This is false. First, according to all the major texts for the story of Horus, we know that the mother of Horus, Isis, was not a virgin, but was married to Horus's father, Osiris. 
One legend even states that Horus was conceived when Isis had sex with the dead body of Osiris. In Life and Culture in the Ancient Near East, we read the following. Seth managed to get a hold of Cyrus's body again and cut it up into 14 parts, which she scattered all over Egypt. Then Isis went out to search for Osiris a second time and buried each part where she found it, hence the many tombs of Osiris that exist in Egypt. The only part that she did not find was the god's penis, for Seth had thrown it into the river, where it had been eaten by a fish. Isis therefore fashioned a substitute penis to put in its place. She also had sexual intercourse with Osiris after his death which resulted in the conception and birth of his posthumous son, Harprocrates, Horus the Child. Osiris became king of the netherworld, and Horus proceeded to fight with Seth. As we can clearly see, Horus' birth story is nowhere comparable to the story of the virgin birth in the Bible. Regarding the claim of a December 25th birth date, this cannot be confirmed. One source claims that he was born around November, and another source says he was born around the winter solstice but no evidence exists for any particular date. In either case, it doesn't matter, because even though December 25th later became the traditional date that many Christians celebrate the birth of Yeshua, the Bible does not make any specific claims of a particular birth date for Yeshua. Number two, Horus's birth was accompanied by a star in the east, which in turn, three kings followed to locate and adorn the baby Horus. There is no evidence in the ancient sources about Horus to back up anything about a star in the east or three kings coming to adorn the baby Horus. This is completely fabricated out of thin air. Moreover, the Gospels never state the actual number of magi that visited Yeshua after his birth. Number three, at the age of 12, Horus was a prodigal child teacher. Again, there is not a single shred of primary evidence to support this claim. Number four, Horus was baptized by a figure known as Anup, and thus began his ministry. Not a single scholar affirms the existence of Anup the baptizer in Egyptian mythology. There is no evidence of this character in any primary source. Evidently, this character is the invention of a 19th century English poet and amateur Egyptologist by the name of Gerald Massey. But Massey had no formal education in the area of Egyptology and has been widely rejected by scholars. Many of these alleged parallels between Horus and Yeshua find their origin in the writings of Gerald Massey, who is often cited by Jesus' mythicists to support their claims. In their book, Unmasking the Pagan Christ, Dr. Stanley E. Porter and Dr. Stephen J. Bettard offer a good summary of Massey's views. His conclusions rely on exaggerations and forced parallels that too often use later interpretations of the Gospels, rather than the primary texts themselves. To make matters worse, Massey cites numerous parallels without any indication of the original references in the Egyptian texts. Massey also begins the practice of describing Egyptian myths with biblical language in an attempt to find a causal link. Number five, Horus had 12 disciples. This is false. According to Egyptologist Claude Troniker in the book The Gods of Egypt, the sources indicate that Horus had four demigods that followed him, 16 human followers, and an unnumbered group of blacksmiths who accompanied Horus into some of his battles. But never do these followers add up to 12. Horus performed miracles and walked on water. While it's true that Horus did perform miracles, that's not unusual for a deity. But there is nothing indicating that he walked on water. Number seven, Horus was known by many gestural names such as the Truth, the Light, God's Anointed Son, the Good Shepherd, the Lamb of God, and many others. 
Again, there is simply no evidence to support the claim that Horus was known by any of these titles. Number 8. After being betrayed by Typhon, Horus was crucified, buried for three days, and thus resurrected. When we look at the actual account of the death of Horus, there is nothing even close to resembling what is claimed by Jesus' mythicist. The authoritative story about the death of Horus is found in the Metternich Steel, which is from the 4th century BC. The story reads, A scorpion hath smitten him, and the reptile Anab hath wounded him. Then Isis placed her nose in his mouth, so that she might know whether he who was in his coffin breathed. And she examined the wound of the heir of the god, and she found that there was poison in it. She threw her arms round him, and then quickly she leaped about him like fish when they are laid upon hot coals. Horus is bitten, O Ra, thy son is bitten. As we can see, a scorpion stunned Horus and he died from the poison. He wasn't crucified. There is nothing in this story even close to resembling the death of Yeshua. What about a parallel to the resurrection? Again, let's turn to the actual sources and see if we can find anything. Wake up, Horus. Thy protection is established, and make thou happy the heart of thy mother Isis. The words of Horus shall bind up hearts. He shall cause to be at peace him who is in affliction. Let your hearts be happy, O ye who dwell in the heavens. Horus, he who hath avenged his father, shall cause the poison to retreat. Verily, that which is in the mouth of Ra shall go round about, and the tongue of the great God shall repulse. The boat standeth still, and traveleth not onwards. The disc is in the same place where it was yesterday to heal Horus for his mother Isis. As we can see, the only similarities between this story and the Gospel narratives is that both Horus and Yeshua die and return to life. That's it. There is nothing in this story about Horus being dead for three days. Horus coming back to life was not planned in advance by God for a divine purpose of bringing salvation to man. Rather, Tote healed Horus in response to his mother Isis's prayers. To suggest that the death and resurrection of Yeshua was copied from this story would be a stretch, to say the least. What about the Greek god Attis? Another claim from the documentary Zeitgeist is that Yeshua's story was based on myths about this god. Attis, a Phrygia, born of the virgin Nana on December 25th, crucified, placed in a tomb, and after three days was resurrected. These claims, once again, are false. There is no historical source associating Attis with December 25th in any way. And, again, it doesn't matter anyway since the Bible never claims that Yeshua was born on December 25th. There's nothing in the historical sources indicating that Attis was born of a virgin. J.P. Holding summarizes Attis' birth myth in his book, Shattering the Christ Myth. As the story goes, Zeus, as Jupiter, saw Mount Agnes, which looked like the goddess Rhea, and in a moment of excitement dropped some of his seed on the mountain, and from this rose a wild and androgynous creature named Agdistus. The gods do not like the obnoxious Agdistus, so Dionysus sneaks up and puts wine in Agdistus' water to put him to sleep. While he is asleep, Dionysus ties a rope around Agdistus' genitals, ties the other end of the rope to a tree, frightens him awake, and in panic causes him to castrate himself. From the resulting blood, a tree springs up, and much later, Nana happens by, picks some of the fruit, and puts it in her lap, and then it disappears upon which she finds herself pregnant with Attis. How this myth has any connection whatsoever to the virgin birth of Yeshua is a complete mystery. One would need to entertain some serious mental gymnastics to find a parallel here. 
As for Addis' death, there is nothing about him being crucified or placed in a tomb and certainly nothing indicating a resurrection. In the book Cybele and Addis, The Myth and the Cult, M.J. Vermasserin details the various legends concerning the death of Addis. One story says that Addis emasculates himself under a pine tree and dies. Then Augustus asks Zeus to bring Addis back to life. But rather than fully restore Addis to life, Zeus merely keeps his body from decay, allows his hair to continue growing, and makes his little finger move continuously. Another legend again has Addis emasculating himself, but instead of Zeus keeping Addis in a perpetual vegetable state with an ever-moving little finger, his blood causes flowers to grow out of the ground and then Addis turns into a pine tree. There are other versions of this story, but they are all dated well after the time of Christianity and perhaps were influenced by the gospel accounts. So any similarities that there might be between later legends of Addis and the gospel accounts would be a case of the story of Yeshua influencing the later pagan myths and not the other way around. In the book The Christian Mystery and the Pagan Mysteries, Hugo Ranner notes, As modern scholars have become more objective in this field, they have turned with increasing interest to another aspect, namely the possible influence of Christianity on the Greek mysteries. Thus, there is no evidence that the story of Yeshua was influenced by the Addis myths. What about the Hindu deity Krishna? Here are more baseless claims made in the Zeitgeist documentary. Krishna of India, born of the Virgin Devaki with a star in the east signaling his coming, performed miracles with his disciples and upon his death was resurrected. These claims are total distortions of the evidence. First, according to the book Krishna and History, Thought and Culture by Dr. Lavanya Vemsani, it is said that Krishna's mother had seven sons before Krishna, who was the eighth son. So obviously Krishna's mother was not a virgin. The story of Krishna's death can be found in Mahabharata. According to Encyclopedia Britannica, Mahabharata, one of the two Sanskrit epic poems of ancient India. The Mahabharata is an important source of information of the development of Hinduism from 400 BCE to 200 CE and is regarded by Hindus as both a test about Dharma and a history. So what does Mahabharata say about Krishna's death? Having restrained all his senses, speech, and mind, Krishna laid himself down in high yoga. A fierce hunter of the name of Jara then came there, desirous of deer. The hunter, mistaking Keshava, who was stretched on the earth in high yoga for a deer, pierced him at the heel with a shaft and quickly came to that spot for capturing prey. Coming up, Jara beheld a man dressed in yellow robes, wrapped in yoga and endued with many arms. Regarding himself as an offended and filled with fear, he touched the feet of Keshava. The high-souled one comforted him and then ascended upwards, filling the entire welkin with splendor. As we can see, there is no indication that Krishna was crucified. A hunter shot him. There is no indication that he was resurrected either. All the text says is that he ascended into the heavens. It's possible that Krishna was reincarnated, but that is not the same as the biblical concept of resurrection. Reincarnation is a soul inhabiting a new body, conceived in a womb. Biblical resurrection is the same body being restored back to life. Thus, the claims of a parallel between the story of Yeshua and Krishna are simply false. What about the Greek god Dionysus? The Zeitgeist documentary claims, Dionysus of Greece, born of a virgin December 25th, was a traveling teacher who performed miracles such as turning water into wine. He was referred to as the King of Kings, God's only begotten Son, the Alpha and Omega. 
and many others, and upon his death he was resurrected. All of these claims are false. Again, there is no reference anywhere to a December 25th birthday. And as we've mentioned before, even if there were, it would not matter since the Bible does not claim that Yeshua was born on that date. Dionysus was not born of a virgin. According to the ancient hymn to Dionysus and the Homeric hymns, Dionysus was conceived from the union of Zeus and Semele. I am loud crying Dionysus to Cadmus' daughter Semele bear of union with Zeus. Some sources say that Dionysus traveled the world spreading civilization, but this is not at all comparable to Yeshua traveling around Israel speaking about the kingdom of God. There is a story of Dionysus turning water into wine, but the account comes from a source dated much later than the first century in Achilles Tadius. Thus, if there were any causal connection, the pagans would have received it from the gospel accounts. There is no evidence that Dionysus was referred to as King of Kings, Alpha and Omega, or any of the other titles that are applied to Yeshua in the scriptures. Regarding the claim that Dionysus was resurrected, the closest thing we have that might resemble the resurrection of Yeshua is a legend recorded by 1st century BC historian Diodorus Siculus in volume 3.62 of his work. It is said that Titans kidnapped Dionysus and boiled him. When Zeus found out, he killed the Titans and brought Dionysus back to life. We can clearly see that there is no parallel whatsoever between this legend and the story of Yeshua's resurrection. What about Mithra, the Zeitgeist documentary claims? Mithra, a Persia, born of a virgin on December 25th, had 12 disciples and performed miracles, and upon his death was buried for three days and thus resurrected. He was also referred to as the Truth, the Light, and many others. Interestingly, the sacred day of worship of Mithra was Sunday. It's worth noting that we know very little about the mystical religion of Mithras. The members of this mystery cult didn't leave any writings behind, so we don't know exactly what they believed. Professor Mary Jo Sharp explains, There are no substantive accounts of Mithra's story, but rather a pieced-together story from inscriptions, depictions, and surviving Mithraia. The reality is we know very little about the mystery of Mithras or its doctrines because of the secrecy of the cult initiates. So what about the claims that Yeshua was copied from Mithra? First, there's no evidence that Mithra was born of a virgin. According to scholars, he was born out of a rock. In his book, The Roman Cult of Mithras, The God and His Mysteries, professor of ancient history Manfred Kloss explains, The sequence of images from the mythical account of Mithras' life and exploits begins, so far as we can make out, with the god's birth. The literary sources are few but unmistakable. Mithras was known as the rock-born god. What about the claim that Mithra was born on December 25th? Again, the evidence for this claim is severely lacking. Dr. Roger Beck explains, In truth, the only evidence for it is the celebration of the birthday of Invictus on that date in the calendar of Philocallus. Invictus is, of course, Sol Invictus, Aurelian's sun god. It does not follow that a different, earlier, and unofficial sun god, Sol Invictus Mithras, was necessary or even probably born on that day too. As we've already mentioned with the others, even if this were true, it would not matter since the Bible does not claim that Yeshua was born on December 25th. So there's no parallel to the gospel accounts of Yeshua's birth. Regarding the claim that Mithra performed miracles, even if the evidence supports this claim, it doesn't matter. Almost every false god performed miracles. This type of thing is way too general to form any kind of parallel to the story of Yeshua. Regarding the claim that Mithra had 12 disciples, 
This is false. In the Persian slash Iranian version of the Mithras myth, he had a companion named Varuna. In the Roman version, he had two companions named Cautus and Catupatres. Some people often appeal to an image of Mithra known as the bull slain in the stars, where he is surrounded by twelve figures. However, these figures are not disciples, but are the signs of the zodiac. In reference to this image, Dr. David Alonzi writes in his book, The Origins of the Mithraic Mysteries. It has always been clear that astral symbolism in general played an important role in Mithraism. For, as Kumant himself say, the signs of the zodiac, the symbols of the planets, the emblems of the elements, appear time after time on the boss reliefs, mosaics, and paintings of their subterranean temples. The various types of explicit astral imagery in Mithraic monuments can be summarized as follows. The zodiac is often portrayed in connection with the Tauroctony, sometimes in the form of an arc above the scene, and sometimes in a complete circle around the Tauroctony. Regarding the claim that Mithra was buried for three days and resurrected, there is simply no evidence in any version of the myth to back up the claim that Mithra ever died or was resurrected. Likewise, there is no evidence anywhere that Mithra was referred to as the Truth, the Light, or the other titles applied to Yeshua in the Gospels. These claims are completely fabricated. Regarding the claim that Mithra's holy day was Sunday, this is true. But Christians didn't begin teaching as Sunday Sabbath until around the 2nd century. While we believe that Yeshua rose from the dead on the close of a Sabbath, as we discuss in other teachings, even if Yeshua did rise on a Sunday, the Bible never states that Sunday was a holy day for the followers of Yeshua. This was a later practice that was adopted after the time of the New Testament. Therefore, there is no parallel to Mithra. In conclusion, the position that Yeshua was copied from earlier pagan myths is utterly baseless. There is no evidence for most of the claims, and most of the supposed parallels are spurious. The few stories that do resemble the story of Yeshua come from later legends dated after the writing of the Gospels, and thus, if anything, are evidence of pagan myths copying the story of Yeshua, not the other way around. We pray that you've been blessed by this teaching, and remember, continue to test everything. Shalom. It is because of you, our generous supporters, who make it possible to offer these high-quality teachings completely free of charge. If you feel led to support 119 Ministries so that we can continue this effort, please visit testeverything.net and click on the Support 119 tab. Learn how you can partner with us to take the whole Word of God to the nations.